Hey everyone, this is Chris and Sandy Benton with the Chris and Sandy Show. Where we get up close and personal with some amazing guests throughout the entertainment industry. And today, like I said, on every episode, we got a great one for you. Who do we have? We have JJ French with us today. He is founder, guitarist, and manager of the iconic rock band Twisted Sister. He also has a new book out called Twisted Business. We're going to talk about all that and a lot more. And we're excited to have you on the show. So welcome yes. to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And I can't wait to get out of the freezing cold in New York and get down south. Just <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, it's like 70, it's 70 degrees yeah, here. Yeah, 70 something. I know, degrees. I know. You have a wind chill factor of 68. I don't I don't need to hear that, you know, right? Now. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be 18 degrees tomorrow night. Okay. And then tomorrow oh, wow. we're supposed to be 80, ain't it? Oh, oh shut up. Yeah, shut yeah, up. Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Now, now, granted, you know, we live in Savannah right now, but we're eventually moving to Nashville. So oh, we yeah. won't have the same cold you have, but we'll have a lot colder than we are now. <laughs> yeah, but the music scene is hotter than hell in, in Nashville. I mean, Nashville is one of my favorite, favorite cities. And for those people who don't go to Nashville a lot, uh, do you guys go to Nashville a lot? We, last year was our first time going, but we went four times yes, last year. Well, let me just tell you, I've been going to Nashville for 30 years. Mm -hmm. The change in the last three years mm has -hmm. been mind-blowing. I mean, if you only know Nashville from three years ago, uh -huh. you yeah. don't know Nashville. Wow. Wow. Because what you guys are familiar with mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. not what I saw back yeah. then. Yeah. I mean, not even up to three years ago. Because three years ago, those gigantic towers that are everywhere oh, yes, were are. not there three wow. years ago. Wow. <laughs> I mean, on Broadway, which obviously, you know, you've been on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Back oh, yeah. Right. And you've been yeah. to Roberts, correct? You've been to mm -hmm. Roberts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which Roberts. is like, you know, the greatest. My favorite thing is to go to Roberts and have a bologna sandwich. I mean, that's really, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's my yeah. favorite thing is to go to Roberts. So, when, okay, so. Imagine you're in Roberts five, three, four years ago. You look up the street and you see the mall and the towers. That wasn't there three years ago. Oh, wow. That oh, was wow. just a bunch of little buildings. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. There was just a bunch of little buildings. I mean, I, I you know, my, my guitar player lives in Nashville, Eddie Ojeda. He moved down there because the music scene is so crazy. It is, it is. Um, the other thing about Nashville is I write songs with a songwriter down there and I, I swear I'm writing a song called You're Not Allowed to Suck in Nashville because, <laughs> because every musician oh, yeah. is like Brad Paisley. They are. Every musician oh, is Tug McGraw. I mean, excuse me, yeah. is, is, uh, is, 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 is um, you know, it's like Faith Hill, you know, mm -hmm. and Tim McGraw. Every exactly. musician is great. They, you can't, you're not allowed to suck. If you suck in Nashville, they take you out back and shoot you. I think, <laughs> I, I, and what I, and I have a theory about that. I just think that maybe church learning to play mm -hmm. uh, demands a certain level of expertise. You know, I mean, so if you suck in church and you can't pray your way out of it, you're gone. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it's like, you know, you're gone. So all these singers that come out of church, you know, or these musicians oh, yeah. that come out of church and how many of them, there's millions of them. And yeah. they come out, I mean, this could be a gross generalization, but there's got to yeah. be a reason why. There has to be a reason. And I'm going to give all the props to Nashville. You walk sure. into a club in New York City on any given night, take away COVID. Just take away COVID. Yeah. It's yeah. an issue. Just on any given night, you go to a bar in New York and you see a live band. Mm 
there's a good chance that band sucks. And, 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 and there's a good chance that that band, that the club is full because that band's got a bunch of drinking buddies that yeah. come down and get drunk with them while they sing their terrible songs. You know what I mean? And there's a good chance you walk into a bar in LA and the band's going to suck, but it'll be crowded because there's yeah. nothing else yeah. to do. But you walk down to a bar in Nashville, and you see some of the greatest musicians yep. mm -hmm. playing in the windows of oh, these yeah. bars. Yeah, I love that. We love that. In the windows. I mean, I that. have never seen, I've never seen a bad musician, not even at the airport, in the in the TGIF, mm -hmm. at the airport, where they got like brother mm -hmm. and sister duos playing. Right. They're all mm -hmm. freaking amazing, you know? So, and we never, you know, before we went to Nashville, we never knew about the window. That was one of the coolest oh, things. We have a crazy And, and story, the very yeah. first night was in Nashville last year. Ever. Um, We've never we're, been there. Before, we're walking yeah. down there. We're in front of Hockey Talk Central. Mm -hmm. We've got our little daughter and our, and our, which at that time he was nine years old. Yeah. Little boy. And we're, we're at the light at Broadway and right there in front of Hockey Talk. Right. And a drummer in Hockey Talk hand a drumstick to, um, somebody said, go give it to that little boy out there. And it was happened to visit our son. So yeah. we thought that was the coolest like, thing. Oh, that's so cool. But that's not what was music. the craziest thing that happened. So he gets it. He's excited. So we walk across the street and we're listening to the band play in front at the um, Dirks Bentley Road yeah, because of the Whiskey window. Road. And we're sitting there listening. And little Chris is just with this. Yeah, thing. he's just like bobbing along, <laughs> all into the music. And he's then a huge music fan. The girl on singing looks down, sees he's got a drumstick, jumps down, says, "How would you like to play drums with us for a song?" So they, so here it is, first oh, yeah. time at Nashville. First they, time on Broadway. They put him up. They pull him through the window. Yeah. Put him on stage. He gets to just hit the drums with it them. It was a packed house. For Summer yeah. of 69 song. Yeah, he played the whole song with them just beating on the drum there. How, how, old, you say, how, old? how old? He, he was nine. nine then. He's 10 now. Yeah, nine. You know, that, that kind of experience leads directly to heroin use. So I'd be very careful. <laughs> that's and he's how like, they, I'm going to be they, a drummer now. That's how they so. suck him in. You know what I mean? That's how they suck, <laughs> that's how they suck you in. No, it, the, you know what? That, that is such a cool story because he'll never forget it. And it'll be like, right. if he becomes a musician, he'll tell that story for the rest of his life. You know, We yeah. tell our we And tell you tell. Well, yeah, well, he'll be sick. He'll be, be sick of you telling it after a while. So, yeah. so whether whether he tells it down the road, we will all because that's a, again, you know, we already were yeah, on eventually moving amazing. to Nashville anyway. But that's our Nashville story because we're like, you know, and he he was already we're sold like, on Nashville. Does that happen? <laughs> but he was really sold on Nashville after that. Well, I the last time I was there at Roberts, mm -hmm. there was a guitar player that was just mind boggling, you know, and he's in the window, right? Yeah. And he's like, he's like maybe 25, 26. And he's, you know, he's, he's, he's like Brad Paisley. He's just insane. Yeah. They all play Telecasters, which are very difficult guitars to play. And they all learn how to play them. And I walked up to him and I said, I just want you to know that uh, I don't know if the rest of the people here appreciate what you're doing, but I do. Oh, and wow. I want you to know that I said, you're amazing. And he goes, that's wow. the problem with this town. Everybody is amazing. <laughs> and, he goes, and, 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 and we can't get enough work. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> they're amazing. So yeah, it's a, it's a great, I love that town. I just love it. But it if has you're really, insecure as a musician, Nashville's not your home. Oh no, there. man. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, you know, the, you know, the word alternative, I always, I don't like alternative bands because I always think the word alternative means alternative to practicing. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. know, like, you know, you, you can't sing, you can't write, you can't play. Let's do it. Let's be an alternative band. 
because you know you can, <laughs> you know you can suck that way and get away with it you can't do that in nashville you actually have to play yeah you gotta be well. a player you know and country mm -hmm. music is not my forte and not my specialty but i appreciate the um the techniques of the players Absolutely. you know uh, the nashville's becoming more mm -hmm. of a of overall music place well now, the, not the just problem country. the problem with contemporary country if to be to to be my cynical New York view of it, it's all it is is Def Leppard with a cowboy hat at this point. That's, yeah, that's really what it's like to me. You know what I mean? The, the, it's like eighties. It's like eighties metal. With yeah. A tw with a twang. <laughs> with, a tw with a twang. You know. With a twang. That, yeah. That's really what it is. I mean, and there's nothing to say that that's wrong with that. Yeah. Yeah. But we love it. But it is not traditional country. It's not George Jones. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. George yeah. Jones, and it's not it, it's not Charlie Pride, and it's not Johnny Cash. It is a contemporary rock sound, mm -hmm. a very contemporary rock sound. You know, played with a certain with a cowboy hat. You know, so that's just that's, <laughs> that's trick. You know, look every 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 genre has a a certain sound to it and a shtick and a, and a period piece right now you know that's yeah. what's going on that's what's going on in nashville but they got great players down there and yeah, great yeah, and, they and they got great people and what i love about it is that the scene you know the uh, the, the live scene is so vibrant and so supportive that's what I love about it. You don't really see that anywhere else. Yep. You know, that's like when we first was launching this show, I've got a lot of friends from Nashville connected on Facebook and, and we're in Savannah. So I, I was like, you know, I asked if anybody had a podcast mic that they had, that they laid around or whatever. And, you thought somebody and I thought them. somebody in Savannah would say, I've got one, come get it. <clears throat> and this guy, one of my friends from Nashville, private messaged me, says, what's your address? I've got one. I'll send it to you. Oh, I mean, that was, again, some people might think that's small. Uh, to me, that's so, that showed me what Nashville is all about. And then yeah. when the tornadoes come, that really showed me what, the, yeah. Yeah. what well, Nashville's part is. Th there seems to be a brotherhood down there, which is nice. Yeah. You know, seems to be. I mean, growing up in New York City, it was a different, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, the 60s were definitely different from everything else, you know, definitely. Being, being, being raised here in the 60s, having the luxury that I had to see the artists that I saw growing up uh, on a weekly basis is something mm. that most people, when they hear it, they hate me because, <laughs> because I, I shouldn't be able to say that on uh, this weekend, I'm seeing Jimi Hendrix next weekend. I'm seeing Led Zeppelin week after that, I've seen the Grateful Dead the week after that, I've seen the Owen brothers week after that, I'm seeing can heat. Then the stones are coming around. Then I'm seeing uh, Jeff Beck will be back with Rod Stewart next week. Santana's playing next week. Um, uh, Mountain Leslie West is playing next week, yeah, and that's all it was. It was every day. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in New wow. York, back from 1967 to 72, that's what it was like. Mm -hmm. And all those shows, you never paid more than three dollars to see any oh, of them. Wow. wow. You know, so the Rolling Stones were six dollars. Other than that, everything was three dollars. <laughs> and if you couldn't afford the three dollars, it was a dollar because you saw the same groups in Central Park during the summer play the Schaefer Festival for a buck. Oh, wow. The oh, tickets wow. were a dollar for the bleachers and a dollar fifty on the floor. So you could see the Beach Boys, I can Tina Turner, the band, you know, Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin mm -hmm. for a buck. That's oh, just wow. how that's just how it was. Nobody thought about it in any particularly special way. That's yeah. just the way, way it was, you know. In '69, when Zeppelin came, I saw them in, I, I saw them in, 
in, in January of 69, May of 69, July of 69. I, you know, yeah. like I, you know, I saw yeah. them in, in, in twice at the Fillmore. I saw them opening up for uh, Iron Butterfly in the Fillmore. I saw the Woody Herman Orchestra opening up for Led Zeppelin, oh, the Woody Herman Orchestra. I have a poster of Woody Herman and his clarinet under Led Zeppelin. Oh, wow. Think about wow. how crazy that is. That is. Uh... Right? I mean, think about it. The New York Times reviewed that concert. And the whole concert review was Woody Herman Jazz Orchestra. And the last sentence was, closing the show was a British quartet called Led Zeppelin. That was the review. Oh, that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Right? That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay? But, you know, Jimi Hendrix... You know, he played at the Fillmore. Jimi Hendrix played. He played the Cafe Wa, which is where he was discovered with his band, Jimmy James and the Blue Flames. We had restaurants. Um, they had these little restaurants in New York, uh, Ongano's mm. on 70th mm -hmm. Street and the, the scene on 50th Street and 8th Avenue. And these little, these two tiny clubs, right? These two tiny clubs mm -hmm. during the middle of the week in between the weekend shows, all these artists would come to those clubs and just jam. Right. So yeah. you walk in the club, there's Muddy Waters. I, I walked in once, Muddy Waters was playing. Uh, they there were no seats, so the, the owner of the club said, "Go sit on his amplifier." So I went on stage and sat on Muddy's <laughs> amp. All right, or the MC5 was playing, or Free. I saw Free play in 1969. There was no stage; they played on the floor. You walked, wow. you got right like one foot away from Paul Kossoff, okay? <laughs> like or Blind Faith, or Eric Clapton, and Delaney and Bonnie, and Doctor John, and it was every night. In all these rooms, that just played all the time. It was, it was no, that's amazing. Sure. That's how <laughs> I became inspired to do what I did because I had to at my access point. Oh wow! My heroes. So how did Twisted Sister get started? I mean, what did what started that? Well, the the, the in my book, Twisted Business, right? Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I talk about entrepreneurial. Yeah. The, yeah. the reason you're an entrepreneur and, and rock bands are the epitome of the entrepreneur business. Right? Yep. It's a self-starting oh, yeah. business. Right. So you have to believe in yourself. And, mm -hmm. you have to be, and I would say in, in in entrepreneurship, there's two reasons why you become an entrepreneur. And one is that you you, you came up with an idea that nobody in the world thought of and you want to <laughs> risk everything that you own in your life to bring it to the world. Like you risk everything. Right. That's that's number one. Or number two you want to improve an existing thing that's out there because you think yeah. you've got something yeah. that you want to improve on. You want to prove it to the world. Well, nothing says improvement more in the entertainment business because there's plenty of bands before us. There's plenty of actors before you. So what you want to do is you want to bring a new thing to the party. You want to improve yeah. upon it. Yeah. So Twisted Sister was a creation in my attempt to improve the New York Dolls who existed and were awful. Yeah. And, and yeah. I used to go see them all the time because I knew them. <clears throat> And I would go see them and I would just, I would come home every night going, God, that's like the worst band. They look amazing, but they're just absolutely awful. Now, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, romanticism around the dolls. There is a lot. And I understand that some people want to deify them. Mm. However, I will go down, I will say for the record that there's no deifying a crappy band. They were a terrible <laughs> group who happened to look really good and have a really great attitude. Yeah. You know, they had a good punky kind of attitude before punk was punk, right? They had right. a good screw you up yours. This is what we want to do. <laughs> I appreciate that. But, you know, David Johansson, the lead singer, has gone on record as saying they sucked. And I'm not going <laughs> to argue with the lead singer. You know? <laughs> they sucked. In fact, I've seen them so many times, I can't even begin to tell you, because they wound up on the same circuit that we did. But they reformed about 10 years ago. 
and uh, and I and they they played a uh, they played a, a set at John Varvatos, which is now which is what CBGB's turned into a John Varvatos clothing clothing store, mm -hmm. and and it was all studio musicians with David, and guess what, they were really good because oh, wow. they had guys wow. who could play who could play. Then if you saw the um the the TV show that Mick Jagger produced, Martin Scorsese about the glitter scene down in the village back in the day. I forgot the name of the show. Uh, <clears throat> but but anyway, there's, there's a recreation of the Mercer Art Center where the dolls were playing. And there's a recreation of a band called the Dolls, and they're playing. And I'm watching this TV show, and I'm thinking, God, they never sounded so good. They sound really good. Like, that can't be them. And it turns out, of course, all the guitar playing was done by a studio musician that I knew That's of. So, so that only proves my point. That they were horrible. Anyway, to get back to this point was that I saw the dolls and went, there's a niche of a band that looks like that but that can play. And mm. and and I had been I had been um transforming myself from a Grateful Dead hippie Almond Brothers fan. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, to a glitter guy. And it happened in one <laughs> it happened in one month. But the whole scene changed in one month. Wow. It really did. Yeah. One one month. It's kind of like when the Beatles hit in, in January of 64, it changed the world, right? Like that one Ed Sullivan thing just changed the world. So when Bowie's album Ziggy Stardust came out, that came out in around September of 60, oh, September of 72, and that's changed okay. everything. So I, I got three albums with a with a with a subscription to a magazine called Fusion. I got Ziggy Stardust, Transformer by Lou Reed, and and All the Young Dudes by Martha Hoople. And, and I just looked at the album covers and went, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like this kind of like this was the change of my life. You know, so I went from Beatles, Stones, Who, Zep, Floyd. Almond Brothers, Grateful Dead, hippie to <laughs> glam guy, like in one month. Coinciding with that, I was a drug dealer and a drug addict for five years. You know, I was a New York street hustler, for lack of a better way to put it. <laughs> and and I was a drug dealer and I smuggled drugs and did drugs in Europe and I lived a really crazy hippie, super hippie, crazy life. Plus, I was involved in anti-war demonstrations and i got thrown out of high school for taking positions that were pro civil rights and uh, uh, and, and and i so i got thrown out and i sued the board of education so you can oh, imagine wow. all this yeah. is going on in my life i'm a hippie drug dealing super hippie <laughs> high school revolutionary drug addict i was multitasking <laughs> in other words and i was ODing on drugs and dealing drugs and almost murdered it's all in the book I mean, the, I lived a crazy life. I think I wow. told you by it's where I started that my girlfriend at the time was the great granddaughter of Robert E. Lee. He's from Atlanta, oh, yeah. Georgia. So, I mean, that's, you know, you don't expect that from a Jewish kid in New York City, you know. No. But my contention is that she dated me because she wanted to piss her mother off. And what <laughs> could piss her mother off more than dating a Jewish drug dealing hippie uh, drug act from New York City <laughs> if, you're, if you're from Atlanta, True. Georgia? I mean, yeah. that pretty much picks all the boxes, doesn't it? it like, does. I yeah. want my mom to hate, but hey, mom, guess what? He's a hippie, he's a drug dealer, he's Jewish, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Oh, no. Well, we got to hate that guy, right? So anyway, I fulfilled all of her dreams. And, uh, and, and unfortunately, as I outlined in the book, or I should say for the good thing, is the drug scene fell apart. And luckily it did. And I had to make yeah. a choice. And I had to make a choice. Yeah, I've been and, sober 14 years myself. Okay, well, I've been straight for 50, 50 years now. Wow. Oh, so wow. I stopped That's in 1972. Great. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I was born in 71, so. Right, yeah, well, you're just a younger punk. That's really <laughs> you so, so, um, so, so what happened with Easter Sunday in 1972 was my last day. So that's wow. 50, that's oh, 50 yeah. years ago. So it's, it's, it's so long ago that I can talk about it in a third person yeah. way because I don't, that person don't is exist. like, it's just not me. However, this is the irony of it. Most people get into rock and roll to party. Mm-hmm. I mean, to play rock and roll, but they yeah. do it yeah. so they can also be part of the rock and roll lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I was completely over that by the time I was 20. Wow. So oh, wow. so I, so what I said to my mother was, I said, here's the good news, mom. Good news <laughs> is I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm not dealing anymore. I'm, I'm going to get away from the whole scene. Yeah. But I'm going to look like a transvestite. <laughs> and it was like I, I think her reaction was can we go back to the drug dealer part maybe was like, <laughs> you know, I understand that I don't understand this you know so we I got in, so I joined a glitter band because that was what was going on David Bowie yeah. changed everything you know right, I, right. I, I explained to people the Beatles were my Saturn rocket that lifted me off. And then Bowie was my retro rocket that, boosted yeah. me, you know, that boosted me, you know, I, once the, yeah. once the, the main rocket falls off, yeah. Yeah, it right. takes you to yeah. the next, you that one, next level, you. the next yeah. level. And it was like Bowie, Bowie. Wow. Like blew my mind. Like I, I saw Mick Ronson, his guitar player. He looked like a God, like that's what I wanted to be. So, wow. so that was the catalyst of creation of Twisted Sister. So I joined, okay. so I heard about a band. They, they auditioned me in December 72 and uh, they were called Silver Star. And uh, they, they played all the songs that like Bowie and Lou Reed and Mont the Hoopa, all those songs that I had been learning now because I changed my life over so quickly. And, uh, and they hired me. And, and I said to them, the name sucks. The name Silver Star is like the worst name in the world, like two Quaaludes. No one's going to remember the name of the band. Yeah. I mean, so they, everyone but the guy who thought of the name agreed. He was, a little, he was annoyed. <laughs> But the singer, the original, original, original singer, D is the fourth singer. Again, I go into it in the book. Oh, wow. You know, D, is the, D comes back, comes down way later. Mm-hmm. That singer came up with the name of the band, wow. which was the perfect name. Yeah. Very memorable. So memorable. It's, 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 I have to sue people all the time for using it. I mean, I really, it's like, <laughs> it is, it is. It's a great, it's a great trademark. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's you know, I was reading something that talked where you said that you're the master of reinvention. You should, even back then, I mean, you kept reinventing, and I mean, now you've, you're an author, you're a motivational speaker, you you're you're a columnist as a writer. I mean, you have really reinvented yourself through the years. Tell us how yeah. that process. How about I live the fact to raise a daughter? Oh boy, talk about reinvention! <laughs> talk about a reason to go back to drug use. <laughs> you know, I would say the drug use is not the problem of the kids. It's the parents who have to take it to get over that crap. You know? uh, I, anyway, um, yeah, so I have a I have a 20 year old daughter and with two grandkids now. Yeah. So there's a whole new generation of crazy coming. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. So twisted. So, yes, I didn't realize I was reinventing myself. It's a good point that you made I, that came as I was looking back on the book and looking back on the process of my evolution. And the band's success, it had to do with constantly reinventing. And and in the entertainment world, you reinvent yourself all the time. I mean, you're only as good as your last hit. That's always been the case in, in, in the entertainment world. In fact, you can't even 
appreciate your success because invariably, if you have a hit record, the first question someone says is, so what's next? It's like, dude, <laughs> yeah. can I just can I just enjoy this for like five freaking <laughs> minutes? I'm having a hit record. Can I just like spend a week <laughs> enjoying it before you like, I got to worry about the next step? Yeah. <laughs> so you always reinvent. So I didn't understand the reinvention aspect of Twisted Sister until I started getting into the fact that the band members were a bunch of drug addict alcoholics, and I had to keep firing them because they were because oh, they wow. weren't they weren't professional. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I didn't start off by saying JJ French doesn't do drugs. JJ French doesn't drink. JJ French is like a Jehovah Witnessy kind of guy. <laughs> so he plays metal. No, I didn't, you know. I'm not really, by the way, I'm, and I'm not religious. So this is not that. I just got bored and sick and tired of relying on people who were getting high. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be consistently professional. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Isn't that the biggest problem that companies have? It's, mm -hmm. it's it drug and alcohol abuse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what does drug and alcohol abuse does? It creates inconsistency. And it so does. you can't depend on your fellow partner. Right. Mm -hmm. In so, the first five years of our marriage, she went through a lot of hectic because of my addictions. Yeah. Okay. So you understand. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a family, whether it's a business, the stuff destroys you and it, it just yeah. destroys everything. And so I had the, the audacity to, to, to think that a rock band is no different from any other business which is mm -hmm. there's no room in this business for that kind of behavior. I'm sorry. I said, if you want to go out and party on your time off, you do it. But if you do it in the confines of this business and you don't show up for rehearsals because you because you have to get over being high the next day or mm -hmm. you don't remember your stuff because you're high or you're doing a bad show because you're high, if that's the problem, I don't want you in my band. You can't be yeah. in my band. You can't be in my band. So the in the book I described, you know, the first crisis was the original lead singer who was an alcoholic <laughs> pulls a loaded gun out on the drummer who was a who was a meth ad, who was a methadrine uh -huh. guy in a bar fight. I'm 22 years old. The band been together two years. I walk in on the scene with the singer holding the loaded gun at the drummer. Mm -hmm. I I thought I was walking into a murder. I thought I was going to be a witness to a murder. Because don't give a drunk guy a loaded gun. I'm sorry. Is there no. something wrong with that theory here? You know, <laughs> I don't right. think so. So to the to the singers to the singers' credits, he threw the gun down. They got in a fist okay. fight, and and um, we realized that he had to go because yeah. because yeah. his behavior wasn't going to be he wasn't going to work anymore. So the guitar player, the original guitar player, and him. He left because they had like this kind of thing, this Mick and Keith kind of thing, this dream. Oh, okay. them. Mm -hmm. So we had to replace them with like two other guys. And the problem mm -hmm. with the two other guys we brought in, they were methadrine addicts. That was the problem. Oh, and, and okay. an addict. That was the problem with that. Wow. And then they, they, then I, I describe in the book that got really bad. And that band lasted, mm -hmm. the singer lasted nine weeks and he just never showed up again for another gig. I took over singing. So now I'm the third lead singer of the band. But I, I can't sing. And I say in the book, you know, God, God created Bob Dylan so I could do cover material. You know, I mean, I mean you, know, you can't screw up a Lou Reed song unless you sing it on key. That's it. You know, if you sing a Lou Reed song on key, you go, you really, you messed up that song. It doesn't sound as bad as it should. You know, you got a problem with that. And I love Lou Reed. Let me tell you, I love Lou Reed yeah. and Bob Dylan. Maybe it's because I can't sing. I love those guys. I love them. As opposed to Bono, who I can't listen to at all. <laughs> I, I can't. I mean, I, I like you too, but Bono just sounds like a seal that wants to be fed a trout. Like every time I hear Bono, I, I hear, 
oh, oh, and I want to throw him a trout, you know. But anyway, <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, so, so in the book, we detail the all the, the the transformations and the reinvention because every time you bring new people, then you have to kind of change your yeah your approach. Yeah. And then the then the originals come in, and, and as we describe uh, the march to the record deal, we were turned down more times than a bedsheet in a whorehouse, and we've come back more times than Freddy Krueger, you know. I, and and that's a byproduct of, of of trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing and coming back and trying and failing and trying. Yeah, and failing. yeah. Well, you know, we've probably launched in our 19 years of marriage over 100 business ideas that all failed. Yeah. But they we were not, but, not but we learned what not to do. We learned this, we learned that, we learned mm -hmm. this. And then we just start this crazy show, January of 2020. Mm -hmm. And then we had to reinvent the show a couple of times because the show started as an up and coming country artist show. Because he show. had all those that was my contacts. Yeah. All my contacts were in Nashville. So that's where we started. And then COVID happens. And I'm watching the whole entertainment industry get shut down. I'm like, you know, we, so we just went all out. We start, interviewed left, left, left. It's just everybody and then uh, within the music industry. And then about September, I was having a hard time booking some people for music because they were starting to get gigs again because COVID was starting to release at that point. And I was like, well, man, man I, I got so used to booking people all the time on this show. What am I going to do? I was like, I wonder if the acting world would take us in the way the music world has. So I opened the door and started reaching out for actors. And next thing I know, we end up with Ed Asner on the show. Oh yeah, that really. And that one kind of opened the door for a lot of other actors and actresses and all that. So now we're an entertainment interview show, not just the country music interview show. You see that? It's interesting how it all works that way, isn't it? it is. You know, and it was kind of like by accident because there's no way you could have determined that COVID would have altered your life. No, no. And COVID no. altered many lives in, way, in ways that most people don't even understand. Most of my friends in, in not in the performance aspect of the business, mm -hmm. most of my mm -hmm. friends in other aspects of businesses thought the world yeah. ended with COVID and it turned out they had the best years of their lives. Mm -hmm. I have friends in the, in, the, in, the, in the upholstery business. They thought their life was over. They had the two best years they ever had because people are sitting home going, I got an ugly couch. I need to redo yeah. my couch. Like, you know, all of a sudden they're selling like material like it's going out of style. Yeah. Or my friends in the home building business, or my friends in the, you know, the, we watch all those HGTV shows because, you know, because oh, yeah. that's what you do in COVID, you know, with your wife. Right. Now, you have to understand that in New York City, when we watch those shows, there's a little bit of cynicism that comes into play. Yeah. I mean, yeah. here's, a, here's a house that's in Alabama. And it costs $173,000. And they put up 25000 bucks, And six weeks later, they got the Palace of Versailles. And I'm looking at this thing and I'm going, on what planet? In New York City, $75,000 buys you a bathroom and maybe buys you some sushi pieces left over. Like maybe. I said six weeks is one permit in New York. That's just to get a permit right. to do something in New York. Wow. New York, everything is so ridiculously expensive. But the point being is that- Nashville is turning into expensive. Oh, Nashville is turning exactly right, into turning that. Into Let mm -hmm. me tell you something. A friend of mine told me that the top price for the most expensive condo in Nashville right now is $40 million. That is, that is New York City crazy. 
Well, what's okay. happening too, I've got some real estate friends and they say, and they say what they're dealing with right now is you've got people from LA and New York all wanting to move to Nashville because they still want the, that they want to get away from the big, big cities because of what COVID did, but they also still want a major city. So Nashville yeah, seems to be the right fit. And, all that. and so what's happening is people are coming to Nashville and they don't want to have to bid. So the house is $400,000. They're like, I'll give you 700 to take it now. And, and it's causing all this friction. So people who are in Nashville can't afford to bid against that. So they, so all the people, because if you're in LA or New York, 700 grand is like, that's like a down payment on their house, not a whole house. <laughs> no, no, no. A hundred percent. Right. I mean, my guitar player moved down there three years ago. He said to me, his price, his house, his condo has gone up three times in price. Mm. Wow. He got in at the right time, you know, for yeah. doing that, you know. So, so the, yeah, so that, that's really crazy. So anyway, that the guitar business, they thought it was going to collapse, went through the roof because people wow. are sitting home mm -hmm. playing guitar, you know, people are sitting yeah, home. So, yeah. uh, so a lot of businesses that, that people thought were going to just tank. Now, all my friends who are performers suffered. All right. the bands suffered. They had to get creative. Like we've got a friend of ours that lives in California. And what she did is she created the truck bed concert you pay her and she comes out to the road in your house and she she has all her instruments in the bed of her truck and she does a concert in the road at your house that's great this During has been the, this has been a very innovative period of time it has for people and and you know twisted we stepped away in 2016 so we did not have to endure the 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 defeatism of not performing yeah. but we we yeah. we license our music and our songs are licensed they're amongst the most licensed songs in the history of heavy wow. metal mm -hmm. and we did that years ago we made that transition years ago so in a way we protected ourselves yeah. with, with with that transition we really smart really yeah, we smart. really really we protect ourselves and that was because of a and I go into detail in the book about a conversation I had with a judge Mm -hmm. um, which is which is important. So, going back to 1989, when Twisted ended after its first big breakup, I had to file for bankruptcy to protect myself about with a lawsuit that involved a million dollar lawsuit because Twisted was given the first million dollar advance in the history of the merchandising wow. business. Oh, us, Bruce Springsteen, and Madonna, and we broke up, so they came after us for our money. And so, D and I both um, filed for bankruptcy. And um, I remember. I remember um, before I went to bankruptcy court, I was in England watching television at my soon-to-be second wife's in-law's house. And I was watching some commercial on TV in which they used the song Stand By Me as the bed of the commercial, like underneath yeah. the song. And it yeah. was like Tide Detergent or something. It was a sexy British young guy. <laughs> he takes his T-shirt off in a, in, a, in, a, in a laundromat. And oh, throws yeah. it in, you know, and some hot mm -hmm. girls seeing it. And they're playing Stand By Me. You know, it's okay. That's cool. But England being England, the song became popular again and went to number one. This is like 30 years wow. after the song was number one. Only in England can you do something that quirky. You know, like all of a sudden the song mm -hmm. becomes so hot that like 12-year-old kids want to go out and buy a song that was released in 1961. Like only in England. Oh, so cool. I remember thinking, wow, music and commercials, man. That's like a what a great, what a, you know, what a great concept. So six months later... I was in bankruptcy court and I remember the judge looked at me and he said, so um, one of the only assets you own is the name Twisted Sister. So why shouldn't I take that name from you and you know wow. give, it, give it to your creditors? And I said, you could, 
but it's worthless today. And he said, what do you mean? It's worth. I said it's worthless. I said nobody cares about Twisted Sister. I said I said we're yesterday's news. We're, I said in in the in pop culture, once you're yesterday's news, you're yesterday's yeah. news. I said yeah. nobody cares about Twisted Sister today. I said however, in ten years, maybe Tide Detergent will want to use one of our songs in the commercial, and maybe if they do, I'll put the band together, and maybe if I do, I'll remarry, and maybe if I remarry, I'll have a kid. And maybe I'll want a college fund for my kid. And maybe that money I may make on that commercial will fund a college fund. And the judge looked at me and he went, wow, okay, <laughs> you can keep the name. Wow. Ten years to the month of that statement. Mm -hmm. Ten years to the month. Comtrex nasal spray license. We're not going to take wow. for $100,000. Uh, that was the first time ever. Wow. And then... When the band reformed, we re-recorded our song, so we had the rights to the masters, and we and we licensed mm. our own masters. So that's that's the, we became very well aware. So the song has been used. I have a log of all of yeah. The, Taylor all, Swift all, kind all of woke a lot of artists up about that. Yeah, you know, and yeah. the thing with Taylor, well, you already knew it. I already knew it. And besides which, Taylor made it sound like she was being discriminated against when the truth of the matter is, is that we all are in the same situation. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Taylor, don't boo-hoo me. I said, we, I said, the Beatles are in the same situation. The Rolling yeah. Stones are in the same situation. Pink Floyd is in the same situation. The Grateful <laughs> Dead are in the same situation. We're all in the same situation because we all licensed our music and gave it to a corporation because yeah. that's what you yeah. had to do. I said... Yes, we can all claim it's criminality, it's thievery. We can all do that. But, you know, no one forced you to do it. They basically said, this is the way the rules are. If you want to play by these rules, this is what you got to do. And then that's it. So the only thing that the record labels did not do, mm -hmm. and I always wondered why, because they screwed the artist every way they could possibly screw the artist. Like you figure, boy, they came up with ways, just unique ways to screw us <laughs> all out of our money. But they left one clause untouched. And I think they did it out of their own unmitigated arrogance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back when these laws were written in the 30s and the 40s, back in those days, yeah, no artist like Bing Crosby and Hoagie Carmichael, we're talking like back in the 30s and 40s, mm -hmm. you know, if you had a hit record or a hit song, you lasted five years and then you were done. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. most you had five years. So they had a clause in the contract. So after five years, you can re-record uh, your songs. Like somebody will care. Okay. Like their attitude is no one's going to care. Give them, <laughs> give, them that, give them that bone because you know what? It ain't going to matter. Let them just do what they want to do, you know. I mean, they screw you in every other way possible, which I can't. But if I if we had a show just on how they contractually screw you, it would just take too long. Um, but let me also say that it's the same. We're all in the same playing field. What do I talk about in my book? I talk about observing your playing field. Mm -hmm. If you you got to take a look at the way the rules are at the time you are playing the game. Yep. Where what game? You play on those rules, and that's the way it is. I mean, they asked the the quarterback, um, Josh, uh, what's his face, who lost the Buffalo Bills, who lost in overtime. Mm -hmm. You know, because the because of the overtime rule, the three minute they got the they got the, the touchdown was, was they got a touchdown yep. and they didn't get a chance to get the ball back. And he goes, "Okay, the overtime rule sucks, but guess what? That's the rule right yeah. now. Yeah, you know, let's change the rule for next year. But but I'm not going to get freaked out about it because." That's the rule. And I have to tell you, philosophically, you know, you have to play in the in the in the ballpark that you're in, you know. So the record business has its problems, a hundred percent. And some people win really big. Yeah. Taylor Swift is one of them, extremely talented, 
And she became bigger. She became a big name in the industry and was able to yeah. change things. Yeah. But the Beatles couldn't sue their way out of their record deal. I mean, this is the Beatles. They didn't sue their way out of the record deal. Zeppelin didn't sue their way out of their record deal. Now, Taylor Swift re-recorded her songs, which is her right to do. By the way, you the noise you hear, welcome to New yep. York City. <laughs> welcome to What's New York. Funny, where I, I, at first, I thought it was our little three-year-old crying, but uh, sorry. No, yeah. no, that's, that's the new, that's, without that, I don't sleep at night. I need, I, I need, I need police sirens and stuff. Anyway, um, so when people talk about this, you know, they say, are you bitter? Are you bitter? Are you this? That? I go, not really. You know, I'm one of the few artists that knew exactly how bad the record deals were. Most artists don't really read the record deals or really understand how you got screwed. They'll just kind of generally go, I got screwed, man. You know, like I got ripped off by this and the other thing. Well, yeah, you know, you did. But if you actually read the contract, you'd understand what rights you gave away. And at the time you had a choice. Negotiate those rights out or play the game, you know, and if you last long enough in this business, you play the game. So here we are 50 years later after the band reformed mm -hmm. and you're talking to me because I have a book and you're talking to me because I got a couple of songs that the whole world knows, which is I want to rock and we're, and we're not going to take it. The whole world yeah. knows those songs. And I mean, the yeah. world knows those songs. Yeah. Those yeah. songs are used around the world. I mean, in Ecuador two months ago, the guy running for president of Ecuador, we're not going to take it. In Spain, the president of Spain was using it recently when when they sang we're not going to brexit on the steps of english parliament the truckers in canada are using it for the truckers thing i mean it goes so far beyond that's why i'm on your show because if i if the name twisted sister didn't matter you i wouldn't be writing a book and you wouldn't be having me so now let's look at the bands that came out in 1973 the big bands yeah Chris, judas priest acdc aerosmith twisted sister pretty wow. big right Pretty yeah. amazing. Yes, five year, five of those bands, nine, 50 years ago. You think any one of us would have told you 50 years ago we were going to be here 50 years later? You think any of us even thought Probably that not. was a possibility? Probably not. Not a chance. What we would have said if you would have seen the 20-year-old JJ, <laughs> you would have said, how long is your band going to last? I go, man, five years. That's what <laughs> that I was the going thing. Yeah. That was the going thing. Five years, maybe 10, may, maybe mm -hmm. because the Beatles lasted 10, but maybe five. Maybe I would have said five to 10 years because I would have been like smart. Here I am 50 <laughs> years later, right? Now, what's the difference between Judas Priest, ACDC, Kiss, Aerosmith, and us? Here's the difference. Those bands are without a doubt bigger record sellers than us. I will not deny it. Okay? will not deny mm -hmm. it. But you ask a 10-year-old kid on the street to sing an Aerosmith song, he ain't going to know it. As we're singing a Judas right. Priest song, he's not going to know it. As we're singing a Kiss song, he's not going to know it. As we're singing an ACC song, I'm sing, we're not going to take it. The kid's going to sing the entire song, we're not going to take it. And that, <laughs> and you go, I want to rock. The kid will sing, I want to rock, because we have made it our life journey to make sure those songs are out there. You know, people say to me, they're everywhere. I go, yeah, they're everywhere for a reason. Wow, I can't yeah. afford for it to not be everywhere. I got to make sure every year another million songs get dumped into the pile of songs. Oh, yeah. I got to make sure we're out there. Yeah. New York keeps going up in prices and taxes. So you got to keep that keep money paying. coming. Thank you. I didn't say that, folks. Chris said that. That was Chris's comment from, from uh, Savannah, Georgia. JJ didn't say that. From the South. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's 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 very true. I mean, it's I was asked recently, like, well, you license it. You, you make very reasonable deals for licensing. I said, we make reasonable deals depending on who wants to use it. If an independent, yeah. if yeah. an independent company comes around, an independent film company, they can't afford much. I'll say, yeah, I want it in that movie. Mm-hmm. I will encourage it. I want it out there. It's important to our legacy that is out there. Wow. You know, super mm-hmm. important to our legacy. <laughs> I'll definitely love that. Um, now, through these years, as you know, a lot of people, they see the glory in what you do, but they don't see the grind that it takes to get to the top. And I always like to talk about that a little bit, because as you know, a lot of people think if you got the talent, you you know, you can make it. But we both know that's just not true. If you don't have the work ethic, you can forget it. Those doors will not open. So tell us a little bit about that side. of it. Well, in the book, I use the twisted method of reinvention. And that's uh-huh. T-W-I-S-T-E-D, tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, trust, excellence, and discipline. These are the rules by which the band made it. What you're talking about is tenacity right there. And you're talking about excellence and discipline right there. So let me talk about that. In the book, I've always said the Twisted – I have played over 9,000 shows of Twisted Sister, about 9,200 shows. Wow. Wow, I, list, I, I list them in the book. I list them in the book. So you can go back to the book. We've done over 500 interviews in two years. I'm sorry? We've done over 500 interviews Good. in two years. Well, that's my point. Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's discuss this. A musician comes to me now. He mm-hmm. says, JJ, come see my band. I go, how long you been together? They go, two years. Mm-hmm. I go, how many shows you done? 50. I yeah. go, Okay. 50 shows, like 50, 45-minute shows? Yeah, I said, okay. Wow. When you get to 500, call me, and I'll come down and see your band. 500? Oh, wow. That'll never <laughs> happen. I said, well, there's a good chance I ain't going to come and see your band. Because the truth yeah. is, you're going to suck till you hit about 500, and I don't have time to watch you suck. I said, but wow. I, I, but once you hit about 500, you're going to be pretty good. And they'll go, yeah. well, how many shows you do? Well, here's the deal, folks. So take out your little notepad and take a note mm-hmm. what I'm about to tell you. In the first 30 months of this band's career, we played 3,520 shows. Wow. In the first two years, I played 3,520 shows. 3,520 45-minute shows because we were doing five shows a night, six nights a week. Mm -hmm. Then that's before D-Joint. Wow. Okay. When D joined 76, we did another, before the record deal, another 4,500 shows. So we had done 7,500 shows before we even had a record deal. So when people say, well, how come you guys are so good live? I say, well, if you still suck after 7,500 shows, maybe you shouldn't be in this business. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, you do this a couple hundred times, a couple thousand times and and people go, hey, Chris, Sandy, you you suck. You go, well, maybe we're not right for this business. You know, we've done it 2,000 times. Yeah. So so I don't. So so the whole point is I talk about this thing. I call about I call it the, the boredom of excellence. And this is what I mean by that. Yeah. You you look you, you interview a gold medal skier, and they'll tell you the reason why I won the gold medal is because from the age of ten, I was on the slopes six days a week, four o'clock in the morning, eight hours a day, uh, for 10, 20 years. That's how I got my golden medal. You talk to a first chair violinist at the Philharmonic, and you go, "How'd you get there?" Well, when I was ten, 
I had to practice eight hours a day, six days a week mm-hmm. after school, blah, blah, for 20 years. And that's mm-hmm. how I get it. I go, mm-hmm. okay. So what you're saying is you put in ridiculous amount of time that the average person would never do because the yep. average person would never do it. That's why they get paid the big bucks and do it. And you're sitting home on your ass, you know, with a cable TV remote, which is fine, totally mm-hmm. fine. But if you're not willing, as you put in, Chris and Sandy, to put that work in, you don't get it out. So, yeah. and it sucks to put that work in and it's boring to put that work in. <laughs> It, I call it the yeah. boredom. I call it the boredom of excellence. It freaking wow. sucks. But you either have the capacity to do it over and over and over again, or you don't. You know the cliche they say that insanity is when you do the same thing over and over and expect a different result. I completely disagree. Exactly. I completely. Yeah. You do the same thing over and over again, and guess Eventually what? You, you get better, yeah, even if you don't realize you're getting better, mm-hmm. because the process of doing it subliminally improves you i'll bet you guys will do a show and you go wow that question wasn't a good one maybe next time we shouldn't ask that question or 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 that that person doesn't react well and you won't do it again but you need it to like there are some questions that we ask almost every show but then i know where this person may stand i will avoid that question that's the the goal is to keep the the show on the story yeah, but yeah. maybe you had to have a rough interview to learn that. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You know, it's funny you say that because we had an interview. Um, it was back when COVID first started. And oh, nobody okay. really knew yeah, what was going on. And I remember we got we had this guy come on the show. Now we were audio only at that time, so I was able to clip it. So it's not a big yeah. deal. But mm-hmm. video is a little different. But we had a guy come on and him and his brother just got in an argument about COVID. Argument. They're both for extreme sides. Mm-hmm. He was on the side that everything should be shut down for a year or two if you had to. However long his brother was. was on the other side that nothing should be shut down. No, 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 no restrictions. No restrictions. So he gets on the show and rants for 10 minutes about this story. And I'm trying to guide it back. And I'm trying to guide it back. No. <clears throat> It took me 10 minutes. Well, after it was over, I pulled that audio up, clipped that part out, and then reloaded. (laughs) And then you said to yourself, I got to pay attention to these kinds of things. Yeah. Right? See, I am the easiest interview in the world because all you got to do is press play, and I can just go off. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. You know, I can go off and tell you stories all day long that that people want to hear. That's the difference. (laughs) They're entertaining stories, and it's stories that people want to know. But I'm also an interviewer. So I know that I have my own podcast. Oh, wow. So I have the same issues you do. Yep. So I'm either interviewing people or being interviewed. <laughs> right. I just yeah. finished. I just finished being interviewed five minutes before I hooked up with you guys oh, wow. on a podcast oh, where technically they lost my interview. I had to redo it again. Oh, wow. You know? That's why we like live. You know what? You know, yeah. I, I know some it's people, there. you know, a lot of people don't like, I've, I've had people tell me, I couldn't do live. I have to be able to edit and all that. I'm like, I like rawness. I like huh. and, and and I don't want to edit to be. I mean, there's been a few times like that one guy I've had to, but for the most part, we're raw and authentic. <laughs> well, listen, people know that. That's why my book did so well. That's why the first printing sold out. I was very open in my book. I told mm-hmm. the whole story, all the good and bad parts, you know, because good, bad, and uglier. You have to. Yeah, that's what you know. I mean, you actually, know. you actually really have to. If you want people to believe you, 
if you want people to pay attention to what you have to say, then you got to be honest about what happened to you. So if I just said, oh, everything is great, everything's groovy. No, man, there was a ton of bad stuff that happened. I mean, like I said, you know, you know, look, here's the thing. People say to me, how did you process all of that rejection? You know, how did you process that rejection? You rejected so much. And, you know, rejection comes with the territory. And young people don't know how to process rejection. They get all hurt. I get rejected 200 plus times a month. Uh, reaching out, because but but again, I get rejected like that because I I ask way more than that. Okay, well, yeah, that's the point. So again, you know, so what I say is that I I kept diaries for fifteen years. Wow, and and then and I then many years later, I went back to my diaries and read them. Uh, huh. The diary the diaries were 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 set up on the day that my mom died in nineteen seventy four because I was. When my mom died, remember that that situation where I told you that that the singer pulled the gun out on the drummer yeah. was going to oh, kill yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Well, my mom died the week after that, wow. and my girlfriend, who I was in love with, and I broke up the week after that. So wow. it was three things that in a row. Tough. That was very, 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 very tough, and, and I spiraled into a very dark depression. Mm-hmm. And and because I had stopped doing drugs three two years earlier, you would think that I had a natural you would go back to the drugs to yeah. help you get yeah. through it. And, and I didn't, I was steadfast, but I also should have gone to a therapist, which I did not do. Okay. I, yeah. I, 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 but I suffered severe depression. I didn't eat for like months and I didn't sleep. I got down 149 pounds and nobody recognized it because you know, you're a glitter rock star. You're supposed to be thin mm-hmm. and emaciated and look like Keith Richards. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're supposed to look like that. But I was, I was really, I couldn't sleep. I was so depressed. I contemplated suicide. Wow. And 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 then I came out of it about eight months later. I woke up one morning and I went, wow, I feel good. Like, why do I why why do I feel good today? I shouldn't feel good today. I got I'm sure tomorrow I'll feel bad again. And I didn't. And I, I came to the conclusion that um, unless you are depressed, um, uh, clinically depressed, your body has a natural healing cycle like it does with yeah. a cut on your hand. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened it went through a natural healing cycle before I did something stupid to myself. But I started keeping a diary at on my mother's funeral, which was December uh, 10th, 1974. And I kept that diary going for 15 years. And what that diary wow. showed me mm-hmm. in the whole history of the band's um, club days was every time adversity occurred, how did we handle it? Like I used to keep a doc, I documented wow. my mental state and documented what was going on with the band, but never went back to read it. Just said today, blah, blah, yeah. blah happened today. Da, da, da. Today. I feel like this today. Blah. And then finally, 15 years later, I started going back and reading and had some aha moments. And I had some aha moments. And I said, first of all, a diary is one of the best things you can do because if you keep a diary and you, track your real emotions and you get over some bad stuff you will give you confidence that you can get over other bad stuff again yeah Yeah. once you know you can do it you feel better about the fact that you can do it okay so like yeah so you may get rejected but you know you're going to get another one and you know that's just going to make it better and you know what even johnny carson didn't get everybody that he wanted to get i mean it just so happens that that's just the way it, it goes so here's the point so we would so Twisted Sister would get a rejection from a record label, right? Yeah. yeah. And it would be depressing. You get the letter, the note, whatever. And back in those days, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they did, they called you, they told you, whatever. Or they never called you back. It's the other thing, right? Yeah. The passive aggressive, they never get, okay, right, you're done. So 
because the band was so popular on a local level, we were able to play in front of thousands of people every night. That helps get over a depression. Okay. So in other words, you get turned down, but you go to a club and it's sold out that night, 1500 people. And you go, well, we can't suck that bad. There's 1500 people out here. You know, we gotta be good. But what we noticed was we went through this cycle that happened over and over again, where we, we mourned the rejection. Then we reflected on the rejection. Then we retooled if we thought part of the rejection had some merit. And you have to be very yeah. honest with yourself. And then we reapplied the new technique and we would go at it again. Yeah. And it would and then it would fall apart again. And we would mourn the rejection and then we reflect on the rejection. You know, I tell people just because someone says repeat, you suck. Rinse and repeat. Yeah, wash, rinse, repeat. And just because someone tells you you suck doesn't mean you don't suck. You could really suck. You know, but most, <laughs> people, but most people don't want to admit uh-huh. that they suck or it could suck. You know, maybe the song sucked. You know, maybe the reason why yeah. the songs were turned down was they sucked. Okay. All right. So, so we followed this pattern of reflecting, retooling, reapplying. And I said to myself, man, this is business principles. These are basic business survival techniques. This has nothing to do with rock and roll. It is rock and roll, but not just rock and roll. It's not just the entertainment business. It's ABIS, which is why I became a successful motivational speaker. Because what I speak to are tenacity, wisdom, inspiration. You know, inspiration. Without inspiration, you got nothing. Without inspiration, you got, you know, inspiration is the fuel that feeds you when you got no money. You know, all you got is inspiration. You know, now eventually, if you don't turn inspiration into money, you're in some deep trouble. Okay. Because, you know, it's got to turn into money at some point. Right. Yeah. But inspiration yeah. is so important. You know, wisdom is so important. Knowing, no, being able to discern what's real and what isn't, that's wisdom too. I mean, and these, these are, so I put in tenacity, wisdom, inspiration, stability, creating a stable business environment so your company can survive. That became an important part of keeping the band together, making sure everybody could get a salary so we didn't have to have separate jobs. We could rely on the yeah. band. You know, and then excellence and discipline. I, can't, I cannot underline how important the E and the D for excellence yeah. and discipline are. We became, we, we achieved this excellence because- we achieved, we, we achieved excellence because we had the discipline to achieve excellence. All of these lessons have nothing to do with rock and roll and everything to do with rock and roll. Exactly. And applied to life lessons, marriage lessons, business lessons. That's why the book did so well. That's why my message resonates with people, because it's a commonality we all understand. You know, you except talk about that, except, except that no one thinks that rock bands live this way. They think <laughs> they think it's sex rock parties. They think it's yeah. sex, drugs, rock and roll, and fairy yeah. dust. That's mm-hmm. what they think. And what I'm telling you is there was none of that with our, our band. Our band was straight. We just worked our ass off to become successful. You know, you're talking about depression. I remember we were three months in, and this is this was probably kind of the game changer of the show that kind of took us to another level. But I remember I was frustrated. You know, although we were where we were, I still wanted to grow in get and the type of guests we were getting. And I was frustrated because it was just nothing was happening. We're still a new show. And um, and I remember I'm I'm really questioning if I'm even supposed to do this. I'm like, right. is it even worth it? And um, I mean, you're putting your heart in this. You're putting everything in this. You get no money in return. Nothing. It's just all and we're all in all that. So I'm questioning everything. And I will never forget the day that two things happen. One is I've got a, first I got an email from someone who I really thought I would be in a book because I kind of was friends with her parents. But once you're, I learned really quick, once you're assigned to a label, they control 
everything, yeah, of course, as you know. Things. So I got turned down there. So I'm like, okay, I'm questioning everything. And then probably an hour or two later, I get this email. And this PR company who we're close friends with now said, I've got six people I'd like to get on your show. So I'm looking through the list and I seen Anna Christina Cash. And I'm like, never heard. I was like, I wonder if she's part of the Cash family. So I look her up, come to find out she's married to John Carter Cash. Of course, the son of Johnny Cash and June. And I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll take them all six. And, and here's where I was smart. Though. I was like, <laughs> you know what? What if they don't like the way I interview? So I was like, you know what? Can we do Anna first? And then we'll do the others. We'll book them all, but we'll do Anna first. And they agreed. So we got Anna on. But because we got Anna on, that then brought Carlene Carter, brought Jenny, I mean, Jenny um, Gill. It brought... Um, Georgette, Georgette Jones. Jones, you know, Taylor Lynn. So all of a sudden, our show became the show to where it solidified that we have all these legends, families coming on the show. And it kind of solidified, okay, we're a real show. And that's what you need. And that, my friend, is the tipping point. And every career has a tipping point. Every career has a changeable moment that alters the, tra the trajectory of where you're going. Mm -hmm. And I call those moments lily pads because we all struggle in this in in a in a pond. And we're just trying to get to the next lily pad, you know? We want that, you know, we need to get there and like who is that lily pad today? What is that validation I'm getting today? Where's that signal from God or whatever you want to call it? Like, you know, however you want to call it. What, what is that message, that signal that's telling you that you're on that pathway and you're on that right pathway and everybody needs that. And those kinds of days are tipping point days. I mean, if I think about the, the 10 years that Twisted Sister went after a record deal, there were like five moments of all those thousands of days five moments that made the difference between living and dying. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like five moments that if it had gone the other way, let me tell you something. Michael LaMonaco is a name you may not know. He's a celebrity chef mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he owns a restaurant called Porterhouse in New York. It's a steakhouse. It's one of my favorite restaurants. But Michael, Michael LaMonaco um, used to be the head chef at um, windows on the world on the 110th floor of the world trade center. Okay. And he's a good friend of mine. And this is a story he tells me. On September 11th, he's going to work, mm -hmm. 110th floor in the World Trade Center. In the lobby, his wife calls him. She says, pick up your glasses before you go upstairs. There's a uh, there's an op there's an, uh, an optometry, you know, there's a glass glasses store yeah. in, in the lobby. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's walking, he's walking in the lobby to the to the right is the elevators that go to the 110th floor. Mm -hmm. To the left is to go pick up his glasses. Right. He makes a left to pick up his glasses. Planes hit, and that's why he's alive. Wow. Wow. You, know, you understand? Yeah. That's why he's alive. Because mm, he made a left decision. instead of a right. Mm. No story I can tell you says more about fate <laughs> than mm -hmm. that story right there. Yes. You make a left or do you make a right? Pick door number one, pick door number two. Those moments in life, I get, you know, that just really gets me, those moments in life. You know, Johnny Cash came to get our autograph one night. Oh, wow. You know this? Can I tell you the story? Oh, yeah. Please do. We love Johnny. We love Johnny. Oh, one second. Hmm. <laughs> 
so, so, um, 1984, 1984 comes, and we're not going to take it everywhere. Videos are everywhere. Superstar shit, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We're, we're playing in Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens, with Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. Backstage. What do you do? You're hanging out. I'm sitting on a Zamboni machine because it's a hockey rink, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm just yeah. sitting on the Zamboni machine, minding my own business, and I hear someone go, y'all know Rockefeller and Twisted Sister? I went, <laughs> Sounds like Johnny Cash. I look up, it's Johnny <laughs> freaking Cash. I go, that's me, that's me, that's me. He goes, he goes I, I came to get your autograph. Oh, wow. What? Oh, my gosh. He says, yeah, my son, John Jr., loves your band. And, uh, wow. and, and, uh, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I promised him I'd get you autograph. So I said, what do you mean? He goes, so I flew up here with a photographer to prove to him that I met you guys. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I, I, I said, stop, stop right there. I just really stop right there. You're Johnny Cash. You flew up here <laughs> just to meet us. Just you know, and you brought a photographer to prove to your son that you met us. That's what you're telling me. Wow. Goes, yeah. I went, I go in the dressing room. I said, guys, um, I want to bring somebody in. Oh, Johnny Cash. Get out of here. <laughs> I went a thousand dollars, dude. A thousand dollars right now. So my bass player goes, "Well, I know you, JJ. You wouldn't put up a thousand bucks if he wasn't there, you know." So Johnny, <laughs> walk, Johnny walks in. It's like, oh my god, it's Johnny Cash. So like, I got a great photo of us with Johnny. You know, we're taking the photos and all this together. And, and I, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. And I, and I just don't even know what to say. I'm just like, humming, humming, humming. I'm, I'm looking at him, and he's, you know, counting around just and just person. being fun, yeah. regular guy. And and uh, and he says to me, "Y'all gonna be playing Nashville?" I said, y "Yeah, probably next uh, January, February." He looks at me, he goes, "JJ, you, you you call me when you're down." I went, "Wow, what's your number?" He goes, "Just call the House of Cash." So wow. two months later, we're in Nashville, and I get the phone number for House of Cash, and I'm thinking <laughs> yeah. it's a I think it's a bank, it's a loan company or something, you know, House of Cash. Mm -hmm. yeah. I call up, and a woman. Answer. She goes, "House of Cash," and I go, "Is this House of Cash, as in Johnny Cash, or is in like a bank?" She goes, "Johnny Cash," and I go, "Is he there?" <laughs> she goes, "He don't live here, darling. It's a museum." I went, "Oh, it was his mother, by the way. It was oh, his, mom. his mother. His mother." Yeah. So I went, um, "Well, listen. If he comes by, you tell him JJ French, Twisted Sisters here, and I'm at the Hilton, and we're playing tomorrow night at the uh, Civic Center, or whatever." Okay. So I hang up the phone. And the phone rings eight o'clock the next morning, and I'm thinking it's my wife, you know. So I was like, "Pick up the phone, uh, hi, what's up?" I'm here. Oh, JJ is Johnny Cash. I almost fall off the bed, like you know. <laughs> that, that that voice is like that. That voice cuts through digital everything. It's like, "Oh, yeah. JJ is Johnny Cash." I'm like, "Johnny, what's up?" He goes, "Can you put me and Waylon on the guest list tonight?" And I went, "Whoa, oh, Waylon!" And too. I went, "Excuse me." I said, <laughs> "You want me to put you and Waylon?" I said. Just out of curiosity, don't you just show up and the hat? I mean, I'll put your name out there, but I mean, it's like, <laughs> how does Johnny Cash and Waylon Jennings go to a place in Nashville and not have anybody? <laughs> so they come down. The whole Carter family comes down. Wow. And they're on the jet road taking photos. And, and June Carter says, we're inviting you over to the house for dinner tomorrow or lunch tomorrow. And I said, we can't. We got to. We're playing in Alabama or something. Mm -hmm. And they go, we well, all have to come back. Okay, we will. So that was mind blowing. And then a couple of months later, 
Johnny Cash was on the Today Show and Brian Gumble was interviewing him. And he said, Johnny, do you listen to any contemporary music? And he goes, yeah, I'll let the Rolling Stones and Twist it. <laughs> now, I've never met John Jr. I, I'd love to get a hold of John Jr. If you could, after the show, let me know how to get a hold of him. I'd love to get a hold of him. I'd love to have him on my show. And tell, oh, him, yeah. and tell him that story. <laughs> what that a that, what a really cool story. Yeah, man. and I got the I got the photo of us hanging in the dressing room with Johnny. In fact, I believe it may be in the book, the photos. As and you know, speaking of kids and son, we always let our three, I mean our three, our 10-year-old come yes, on and ask a few questions. So Sandy's gonna go get him real quick. Yep, I'll get him. Because we are a family affair show. Yeah. More than and, happy. And when you know, when when Caitlin gets older, because she's almost three now. We'll be plugging her into the show, too, because, you know, again, if you can't do it with the family, why do it? By the way, notice I put my book up there because I want to make sure people see. That's the book, <laughs> Twisted Business, exactly. Amazon, get a copy. Order yours today on Amazon. Love it. And, and, I, and I love it how you you have reinvented yourself so much where people would th think one thing about rock bands and then they meet you and you're they're like, whoa. <laughs> Well, yeah, I like doing that. Freaks out. Hey, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Doing good. What's up, man? What, you, you're not good. wearing a twisted shirt, though, so you got to leave the set right now. Sorry. <laughs> oh, hi, JJ. So, what's a fair food? I'm sorry. Uh, what's a fair food? Favorite food. Oh, what's my favorite food? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, depends how much money I have in my pocket. If I'm broke, <laughs> I'll take a hamburger. If I'm really loaded, I'll buy sushi. <laughs> it just it depends. I love sushi. I love Italian, actually. I love a good burger and a good steak. You know, I'm pretty much across the board. I, I don't go to someone's house and say, I'm gluten-free, vegetarian. I only, <laughs> only, you know, pressed Brussels sprouts. That's not me. I love everything. I love fried chicken too. Why? What's your favorite food? Mine is pizza. Oh, well, you know what? New York City, we got a lot of pizza in New York City. We got the best pizza in New York. We got the best pizza in New York City too. <laughs> One day you come to New York and yeah. I'll take you to so a great pizza place. Yeah. And you'll never eat pizza again. You'll never yeah. eat chain pizza again. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. He loves that idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, what music do you listen to? What do you uh, like? Country music. Cool. Yeah, because that was like, again, we went to Nashville and he was loving Nashville. Oh, that's right. Loving it. I told yeah. him the story. Yeah. That, really? yeah. That's, that's a great story. Yeah. Huh. That, that is a great story. He said, one day yes. you'll probably be telling that story to everybody. Probably, yeah. <laughs> do you want to be a musician? Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't. Yes. Don't, don't, don't. don't. <laughs> no. Stay in school and learn how to code. <laughs> and, and, or become like the world's greatest video gamer and you can make billions of dollars <laughs> who would have thought that right whoever would have thought that i mean you know because when we were when i remember when i was growing up um get off that video game because it ain't gonna make ever make you money and here it is now you got people getting rich playing Super video rich. games yeah but when when the band we playing in the bars back in the 80s pac-man had just come out uh -huh. Space Invaders and Pac-Man, oh, you know, like that's like that's like ancient Pong. Do you remember Pong? Uh -huh. I mean, that's like ancient stuff. I'm sure you don't even know about that stuff. Yeah, he, he don't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Yeah. Cool. Right. So, so who's your favorite country artist? What's your favorite country artist? Who's, who's you your, favorite? your favorite? Probably Toby Keith. <laughs> oh, Toby Keith is great. 
Yes. My singer appeared with Toby on a Celebrity Apprentice show. Huh. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think he did. So, yeah, that's cool, man. I'm glad you like that stuff. Yeah. Go, to a, go to a lot of shows if they inspire you. It's yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. But do yourself a favor. Wear earplugs. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to yeah, have yeah. bad hearing. Yeah. No, no, do that, man. You don't want ringing in your ears because that's what yeah. we all suffer. We all suffer from tinnitus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was yeah. one of them crazy people when I was 18 that had the four twelves in the bed of my truck. Yeah, my friend used to sell the loudest car stereo systems in the world. Wow. And and this is, was his motto. Mm -hmm. If your car ain't shaking, you've been taken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I remember because in, in Savannah we have a, a loud radio law. And I remember I got pulled over one time and the officer came up to the car or truck. And says, look, I normally, when, when music's a little loud, I normally don't give tickets for that. He says, but but when I'm a block behind you going 45 mile an hour and my mirror shakes, I have no choice. <laughs> well, listen, to that, to that, when I was learning how to play guitar uh -huh. and I had my first big amplifier, my first big amplifier. Um, I live in Manhattan in an apartment building and um, I opened, my mother was out and I opened up the windows in my bedroom and I pulled out my guitar and I'm doing like, you know, like, like Pete Townsend windmilling and like, and, I, and, and it was a six foot tall amplifier and I'm like having the best time. We're just like windmilling and windmilling and like, just like going, man, this is like, this is it. I was 17 years old. This is like the best. This is the best. You know, my mother wasn't home and the door, I hear the door banging. And I said, I said, oh my God, it's gotta be the, it's gotta be the police. You know, I gotta be the police. So I go to the door, I open the door and it's a woman standing there, you know, and I don't recognize her. I live in a big apartment building, you know, I don't recognize her, but she was young, like 21, 22. And she's screaming, you son of a bitch, you have any idea how loud your guitar is unbelievable as I'm writing my PhD thesis. I can't concentrate. And I said, what apartment do you live in? She goes, what apartment? I live on 87th and Columbus Avenue. That was four blocks away. Oh wow. And I said, you heard my amp four blocks away? She goes, yeah. I said, that was the best thing I ever bought in my life. So you can wrong. imagine what the people in the apartments heard. Oh, God. Yeah, they hated They hated They hated me. I killed the entire Canasta team in my building over those years. Yeah, I, I had people out there used to get really upset in the neighborhood I used to live in. And again, I would never do this now. But back then, I, I was 18. I've got this loud thing and, and it, it 2 a.m. in the morning and I'm coming home and people would tell me that their pictures would fall off the wall. And I had people so mad at me. You know what? <laughs> so you, Chris, were a hellraiser back then, is what you were. Yeah, so a lot of people who know me now, if when I tell them stories, I went through 19 years of addictions. So yeah. you know, this persona that I have now, who I am today, is nothing what I used to be back in the day. Thank you. So we know. Now let me ask you: When you listen to music, what is your name, by the way? Oh, my name's Christopher. Oh, Christopher. Okay. When you listen to music, you listen to speakers or headphones? Speakers. speakers, yes, speakers. Oh, so he's got he has a, he has a stereo system, like a, or like well, how big? When we're driving around and stuff, and and also from his phone. But you know, and I know, we used to buy stereo equipment. Yeah, back in those days, that mattered. People don't do that that much anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I have an SUV. It's an older SUV that one day down the road, when he gets older, I want to still turn it into a show truck, and I think that would be something we and him could do together. 
Okay, well, just you know, don't don't speed. Yeah, this exactly. is you know, yeah. This is this is the parental advice from the guitar player and Twisted Sister. <laughs> Do your homework, stay in school, don't speed. Who is that guy? That's not what I expect. <laughs> expect the unexpected, right? Expect the unexpected. Listen, man, thank you for having me on the show. I really do appreciate it. It's definitely our pleasure. So tell everybody how they can find you. Well, you know, I'm located because of because of social media everywhere. So it's at JJ French Twitter, just J Y J A Y F R E N C H. Um, JJFrench.com is is my site. There's twistedsister.com. I can be reached on Facebook. Twisted is a Facebook page. And here's the best thing. If you want to email me directly or hire me as a speaker for your company, um, you can reach me at this email, which is askjj, J-Y-J-Y, askjjts, like Twisted Sister, at gmail.com. Askjjts at gmail.com. So you can reach me that way. You can reach me um, at jjfrench.com. You can reach me um, on Twitter. Uh, there's so many ways you can do it. But um, I look forward to it. And I love doing motivational speaking. I mean, it's really what I really love to do. I love having my podcast, which is the JJ French Connection, um, Beyond the Music. Uh, you know which, what's funny? I got a story about motivation before we let you go. Go. When we first married, I was I was one of them that was so deep in motivational speaking stuff. That was one of my ultimate goals to be a speaker. And I was so deep in that. that and she was so deep in the music that when we married, we had an issue. I only wanted to listen to motivation stuff in the vehicle. She only let, wanted to listen to music. So we had to compromise. Um, we learned real fast that she didn't like everything and I didn't like everything. Because I was one of them that if you weren't lit, if your automobile was not um, the motivation university, then you weren't serious about any business you're in. That was that was what my thinking back then. But I've come to compromise with her back then. And now I'm so grateful I did because not only do we still get to speak, I still get to do what I love to do. But with our show, she gets her music part. And here it is because we both compromise. We're able to then now combine our passions into one. Well, that's a very important thing because I believe in collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, that's what a rock band is about. It's yep. collaborating. You know, there's a cliche and it says, if you do, you'll go faster if you do it alone, but you go farther if you do it together. Love it. Okay. Love that. And and it's true. You know, um, Ahmed Erigan from Atlantic Records gave me some great advice years ago. And, you know, he said, success is easier if you don't mind who gets the credit. If you know how to sublimate your ego, you can go much faster. That's a very tough thing to do. It takes real maturation to be able to understand that. But if I didn't let DBD, you wouldn't be knowing about me either. You know, I hired him. I brought him in. He was a songwriter. He always wrote great stuff. I wasn't a songwriter. If I, Without him, I am nothing. So I created the business model. He created the creative model. And it's all about collaboration. Exactly. Very, very strong. You're much stronger together than you are apart. Remember, <laughs> you can go faster alone, but you go farther together. Exactly. And, yes, and, and you know, and we, you know, we don't. We've took up a lot of your time, and we again, I, I could go all day long. When we see, especially <laughs> oh, yeah. you start getting on the motivation stuff, I'm like all that because again, oh, I yeah, still, I still believe that. in all that, but also believe in balance now because again, I just like you know when you bring on um, one thing I've learned is I was so head into that that I became not relatable, but now because yeah. when you get more balance, you become relatable to everybody. Yeah, well, this is a very humbling business to be in in the in the 
guest speaking podcast business too. You get to hear a lot of stories and, and you'll hopefully you pick things up because everything is, everything is a learning experience. Exactly. Every conversation, listen, here's the truth. This is what I believe on any given day. You can have a conversation that can change your life Yep. Yes. on any given day without even realizing it. But if you don't get your ass out of your house and walk out your door, you will never have that conversation. Yep. You yep. have to be a social animal and you have to be prepared to open yourself up. But on any given day, you can have a conversation. I've done it. That's happened to me so many times. I, I can't I can't tell you. And how's this? I tell you the stories where where because I talk through the years that we've been flown to like, we have no money now and we get flown to Texas to spend four days with a friend of mine who wanted us to possibly take over his business and stuff. And the timing wasn't right because our family's over here and all that. So I said no in, but again, so many times we've been on infomercials before down in Florida, oh, yeah, but again, it's, again, it's because I talk. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, it just, it's, it's just crazy. If, if, like they say, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. No. And, and just think about this for coincidence. My wife, her <laughs> ex-husband and me have the same first and last name. Completely, <laughs> completely, ran, completely randomly. Wow. Well, Com completely well, randomly. She didn't have to remember a new name, did she? No, 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 no. She could have <laughs> Alzheimer's and she's been married to the same guy for all these years. But yeah, same person. <laughs> same. Yeah, my real name, which is not JJ French. Well, actually, yeah. it's John yeah. French now, but my real name is John Siegel and her first husband's name is John oh, Siegel. How, how's that yeah. one? That's just, that's like Woody Allen on LSD mescaline. That's when you know it's like, fate, right? And yeah, that's when you kind of know it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, they say everything happens for a reason and, and everything does happen for a reason the only question you have to ask yourself is is the reason preordained or not because yeah. everything does there's a reason for everything i mean everything yeah. that does happen happens for a reason um i i mean i'm a believer in i'm a believer when people say to me do you believe in fate i say i believe in in preparation and opportunity exactly if if you're if you're prepared at the time that the opportunity arises you're going to be in a better chance to better be over prepared with no opportunity than under prepared with a hundred percent you got it right. And, you know, when we start talking like this, Chris, then, then yes, this is motivational speaking stuff. But 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 we as speakers, this is what we believe in, you mm -hmm. know, and, and this is the information we have because we're talking to somebody that day that needs to hear what we're saying. Mm -hmm. You know, we're maybe talking, maybe we're thinking, oh, man, there's just another speaking gig. But you're actually mm -hmm. talking to someone who that day, that conversation can change their life. Yeah. And you have to take that seriously. You know, you really do. Anyway, guys, thank you so much. You know, it's oh, been a pleasure it. having yes, you on. This is one of our best interviews ever. And we look we forward to having you back down the road. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, hopefully it'll be before our 60th reunion because I'll be way too old. <laughs> <laughs> Most yes, definitely. Take absolutely. care, guys. Thanks All so right. much. Bye-bye.